Before we begin this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef, I would just very quickly like to say thank you to everyone for listening. The last few weeks have been very exciting for the podcast, and I would like to thank everyone that has shared it with friends and continues to do so. This week, we have a new 86th history episode, and quite frankly, some of it is very sad and very terrible. If you do not want to hear about war, famine, starvation, and death, or you have kids around, I highly suggest waiting to listen. If you want your restaurant shout out on the podcast or to write to us for any reason at all, you can send everything to letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com. We do take the time to read and write back to everyone. You can also follow me personally on Instagram at Chef Brian Clark. I am also very happy to say that because of listeners like you, Let's Talk About Chef is now a very proud member of the iHeartRadio family. And so, that's enough from me. Let's get right into this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef presents 86 History, an iHeartRadio podcast. I live in a house surrounded by fields. I am lucky enough in my life to have achieved this simple goal that I've wanted for a very long time. In my life, I've wanted a very few things. I wanted to travel. I never wanted to live in a big city. I never wanted to open a restaurant in one. And even though I technically grew up in a big city, I spent my entire adolescence wanting to leave. I wanted to have a house. A house that I could make my own, and for some strange reason, I wanted it to be in the country. No neighbors, no buildings, nothing. And here I am. There is nothing more enjoyable than leaving the restaurant on a Friday night after being surrounded by hundreds of people all day, and within two minutes, I am off alone on a road by myself. I'm 32, and I live surrounded by fields that every spring for about two weeks, the farmers who own the land around me start to cultivate and grow their crops. Every spring, when the snow melts and the ground turns back into earth, the huge machines come out and the rumbling of engines starts at about six in the morning and doesn't stop for days. The farmers are planting. They are growing the food that eventually I and so many of you, like me, will have arrive in our restaurants and we will serve it to people. Every single vegetable and plant comes from a seed. And if you live in a city or some suburb where you don't get to see the absolute magic that these new modern era machines have at planting, spraying, and growing the food we eat, I honestly think that you're missing out. Every single day when I go to work, eventually the prep list will grow on the whiteboard. The list that will define what I am going to be doing tomorrow, and the produce order will grow larger right next to it. When the last table has been served and the ovens are off, the tables have been scrubbed clean, and you are just about to leave, the last thing that chefs do is call the produce order in. The next morning, a truck will come and leave vegetables. Lots of vegetables. If you are lucky like me to have local farms and local greenhouses supply your restaurant, then these vegetables are treated like gold. They are perfect, and they all come from seeds. It's easy to forget that. Up until I moved into the country, I had never really thought about it. The other night, I was driving home. It had been a very busy day. We had served over 500 people, and we had done a good job. Like most summer nights, I was driving home through the back roads of the country with the windows down and only my headlights shining in the dark. The National was on the radio, and I turned it up as loud as I could trying to decompress from the day in the kitchen. It's been unseasonably cold where I live. I'm sure climate change has something to do with that, but at that moment, I didn't care. The windows were down, and I was singing along to the National, just wanting to get home. 
I was driving down the road I drive down every single day, and there was a huge tractor blocking the road. It was being filled with seeds so that it could keep on planting them into the ground all night long. I sat there in the dark and watched hundreds of thousands of seeds being poured into this machine, and it got me thinking about where seeds came from, where the vegetables and produce that I use every single day to make food comes from. Eventually, the tractor moved off the road, the song ended, and I kept driving. When I got home, I poured a glass of wine and pulled up my phone to look up the story of seeds. The story of who was responsible for the way that we grow food so that I, so many years later, could simply pick up a phone and order whatever I wanted. I was not expecting what I found. The story that I came across is one of the most heartbreaking and horribly beautiful things that I have ever heard. It is the story of war, of famine, of starvation, of death. And it is also the story of a man. One man who not too long ago decided that he wanted no other human being to ever go hungry again. And he gave his life trying to make that a reality. He is not a chef. He is the reason that we can grow food and also the reason that 12 of his colleagues died from starvation trying to protect his work and seeds from the Nazis and from themselves. This week on Let's Talk About Chef, we're talking about Nikolai Vavilov and the subtle art of trying to feed the world. Nikolai Vavilov was born in Moscow, Russia in 1887. He grew up in a family of intellectuals. All of his siblings eventually became scientists, and he was no different. But he loved plants and wanted to know more about them. And so in 1906, he studied agriculture influenced by the works of plant geneticist Gregor Mandel, a man who basically invented the idea of modern plant genetics. The main reason that Nikolai wanted to learn about plants was because he grew up in a period in Russia where there were six famines in his early life that all led to the deaths of over half a million people in Russia and Eastern Europe. With so many people dying and starving around him, he decided to dedicate his life to finding a better way to feed people and figuring out how to change plant genetics to withstand the worst of Mother Nature. Studying plants seemed like a good place to start. In our modern world, Companies like Monsanto have made words plant genetics an evil thing. The idea of genetically modified foods, basically super plants that can withstand everything that we and Mother Nature can throw at them, are evil. And yes, I do believe that modern GMOs are not a good thing. At my restaurant, we only bring in produce that is locally grown and ethically raised. But you have to understand that at this time in the world, making a plant that can withstand a sudden and severe drought meant something different. 
Shipping produce in the 1900s was nowhere near what it is today. Planes, if they were available at all, could only maybe carry a pilot and a little bit of cargo. They definitely could not be loaded up with thousands of pounds of vegetables to fly to a place where food had become scarce. And so the idea of creating a plant that could be grown in an area where people were starving because of no water, too much heat, or disease was a noble and genius idea. But like most things, eventually those ideas that start off as noble eventually get turned into evil things. But just know that the concept of growing food to save people's lives is what started us on this path. It was a path that was forged by Nikolai. Nikolai had grown up in Russia during a time when the communist idea of food being for the people was determined by whether or not the plants that could feed a nation could survive the climate that changed season to season. Basically, if there was no rain, people would die. If there was too much sun, people would die. All from hunger and in huge numbers. And he wanted to change that. The idea of creating plants that could withstand the effects of a changing climate obsessed him and he wanted to make sure that he and every other single person on the planet would never go hungry again. He started to try and figure out how to make plants that could not die. After the Russian Civil War ended, Vladimir Lenin took complete control of the country and turned Russia onto the path of communism. There was a massive drought in the country that led to a famine that lasted from 1921 to 1922. Because of the drought, only half of the wheat survived and nearly 5 million people died from starvation, mostly peasants. Despite the laws of communism being that everyone is equal, it was still the poor that suffered the most, and in order to survive, many of them turned to cannibalism. Lenin in 1921 had a serious problem. He had to try and figure out a way to make the plants survive, and so he turned to Nikolai, who by that time was the head of the Department of Botany. Lenin elected him to travel to the United States to collect seeds and study how plants could be changed to make them survive not only drought, but also the insanely cold Russian winters. It was a lot to ask of one man, but Nikolai got on a boat and headed to the United States. During his time in America, he was not only stunned by the plants that he found, but also realized that just because you can grow food does not mean that people will not starve. Plants are fragile. In America, he witnessed thousands of acres of corn, wheat, and produce, and yet because of the American way of capitalism, poor people who lived in the country that was by all accounts free were unable to pay for the food that grew so abundantly on its land, and he was disgusted. He had to find out more. He had to travel to more places and find out why people starved when there were so many opportunities to eat. After America, he traveled to the Middle East, Afghanistan, North Africa, and Ethiopia. Places where drought and plant disease are common occurrences. In every place he went, he did his best to learn the language and immerse himself with farmers and guides who showed him everything they knew, sharing their knowledge of how to grow food when nothing else will. By 1924, at the age of only 37, and only having been on his mission for two years, he had amassed tens of thousands of seeds from different plants and countries, with over 7,000 coming from Afghanistan alone. He returned to Leningrad with his seeds and the idea for building something new, a global seed bank, a place where he and his team could keep the world's seeds, learn about them, grow them, 
keep them safe, and if the need ever arise to go somewhere, anywhere, whether it be Russia or Africa or Europe, he would go and plant crops to help people survive. Leningrad Seed Bank was born. A seed bank is basically exactly what it sounds like. It is a safe and secure space where instead of money being locked away in its vaults, the seeds of plants from around the world could be kept safe and secure, and if ever needed, they could be withdrawn from the bank and used to save lives. This episode of Let's Talk About Chef is being brought to you by Audible. Reading books is the best way that we can learn about people like Nikolai Vavilov, but with life being so insanely busy, a Netflix queue, and a commute to work, the idea of sitting down to read a book can sometimes feel impossible. That's where Audible comes in. Audible has every single audiobook you could ever imagine ready for you to download and listen, whether you are at home making dinner, driving to and from your job, or doing the laundry. Right now, Audible is offering a free, that's right, free audiobook to anyone who signs up for a free 30-day trial of Audible. Just head over to audible.com and you will get a free audiobook of your choice. If, after 30 days of trying out Audible, you don't want to keep exploring, you can cancel your subscription with no questions asked. What can you really get for free these days? This week, I was feeling nostalgic, and on my drive to and from work, I listened to Born to Run, the astoundingly good memoir by Bruce Springsteen. I love Springsteen. And if you want to listen to his or literally anyone else's memoir, just head on over to audible.com and get started on listening to some of the best books ever written. That's audible.com. And now, back to the show. By the late 1930s, Nikolai had amassed a collection of hundreds of thousands of seeds from over 64 countries. And with his noble mission of trying to find a way to make plants available for everyone to eat, he had become something of a folk hero in both Russia and around the world. But not to everyone. You do not get to the top of your field without attracting the hatred of some people, and in Nikolai's case, it was actually a former student of his named Trofim Lysenko. Trofim began his career in botany by studying under Nikolai and worshipping him. But eventually, he became seduced by the very strange world of fake science, essentially science without proof, and he also succumbed to the idea of power. Trofim created the ridiculous concept of Lysenkoism, obviously named after himself. He claimed that natural selection, Darwinism, the idea that only the fittest could survive as false, and that he alone held the knowledge and the power to transform wheat into rye, rye into wheat, wheat into barley. Basically, with his science that only he knew how to do, he could transform any plant no matter where it grew, and he never proved his methods. Trofim also hated Nikolai Vavilov. Nikolai was handsome. He was charismatic, successful, famous. He was basically the Ernest Hemingway of science, traveling the world and trying to save people. And then there was Trofim, a small, sniveling, glasses-wearing dweeb who was jealous of the success of his former mentor and friend. Trofim started to publicly dismiss the ideals of his former mentor, saying that plants could not be bred together, that seeds in the plants were somehow only able to be changed by his methods. And as crazy as that sounds, one very powerful and terrifying man was listening to and believing every single word that Trofim said, Joseph Stalin. 
Stalin was now in control of Russia, and he made Lysenko the head of all botany science, a science that he didn't believe in. Stalin wanted answers to why so many famines had taken place, why food wasn't growing, and Lysenko pointed the finger directly to Vavilov. This was his chance to remove the man for good. With such a powerful and jealous enemy, most men would probably run. But Nikolai was not most men, and he continued to collect seeds to help the world. It was an August morning in 1940 when he and a few of his colleagues were out in the woods looking for plants. He stumbled upon a new variety of wild wheat, a plant he had never seen before and was growing in abundance despite not a lot of rain. He ecstatically harvested the plant so he could bring it back to his seed bank. When he was walking back to his car, suddenly and silently, a group of black unmarked cars surrounded him and the KGB got out. No words were said, no charges were given. They told him to drop the plants and get in, and he did what he was told. Vavilov was taken and thrown into a Russian prison very close to his home. It seems like this was probably to hurt him more. His family, his children would walk by the prison sometimes not knowing that their father, the man who tried to save the world, was inside starving to death. Russia was in the grips of World War II. Millions of people were dying and in prison all they had to eat was frozen cabbage and moldy flour. We don't know when Vavilov died. We don't know what condition he was in when he finally succumbed to the immense hunger, but eventually that's exactly what happened, and he passed away. The man who wanted nothing but to feed people died from starvation. It is one of history's greatest misdeeds. Despite not knowing where their mentor and leader was, the staff at the Seed Bank in Leningrad had a new problem. While Nikolai was locked away in prison, the war continued, and if you recognize the name Leningrad, it is probably because of what came next. Hitler and the Nazis wanted to control Leningrad. It was the former capital of Russia and also due to the fact that it was a port city housed the Soviet Baltic fleet of warships. The Nazis wanted Leningrad for political and strategic power, but Hitler also wanted to seize Leningrad for another reason, Nikolai's seed bank. Hitler knew that the seeds from around the world stored inside its vaults were another piece of the puzzle in his quest for world domination. If he could have the world's seeds and plants, he could control agriculture around the world. And so, on September 8, 1941, the city was blocked off from the rest of the world. The Germans weren't going to waste precious resources by fighting their way to control the city, so instead they would starve them out, bombing the residents and soldiers constantly until they surrendered. The siege of Leningrad lasted for 872 days. Those two and a half years resulted in the greatest destruction and largest loss of life ever known in a modern city. Food and water ran out quickly. During the winter of 1942, the only food that could be provided was 125 grams of bread that was made up of 50% sawdust. People would strip the wallpaper off of their walls and scrape the paste that was used to glue them up before the war and boil it to make soup. The wallpaper paste had been made with flour and water. When a bomb was dropped onto the town, which happened all of the time, people would rush into the crater with cups to try and capture groundwater that would be pooling in the bottom, still warm from the blast. Not only was there no food, if you have hundreds of thousands of bodies in the streets unable to bury them, another problem usually occurs. Rats. Millions of rats would scuttle through the city at all hours of the day, feeding on whatever they could find. I don't need to tell you what they usually found. 
Despite the horror, despite the murders for ration cards, the rampant cannibalism that up until 2004 was kept hidden from history, the Russians kept surviving. And in Nikolai's seed bank, something else was happening as well. The scientists who were left behind after Vavilov's disappearance locked the vault shut. They decided that the man's work was too great and too important to lose, and so they decided to give their lives trying to protect his work and the seeds. Seeds that could be used to save the world. Save people from hunger far beyond the borders of Leningrad, if the war ever ended. The future needed these seeds. And while outside the vault doors people were starving with no food at all, inside the vault these men were starving while being surrounded by hundreds of thousands of beans, nuts, rice, and seeds. Food that if they had wanted to, could have been eaten. The metal envelopes could have been cracked open, and the food inside could be cooked and saved their lives. But they didn't. The curator of legumes died of starvation at his desk, holding in his hands two envelopes of peanuts. I really don't think that there is a more disturbingly beautiful thing that I could possibly say. In all, 12 botanists died inside the seed bank. They gave their lives from hunger so that one day people didn't have to be hungry anymore. On a remote island in the northernmost part of Norway, there is a mountain made out of ice and snow and frozen rock. Sticking out of that remote and freezing cold mountain is a door. If you open it, you will find a tunnel carved deep into the mountain. Its walls are made of ice. If you walk down that tunnel for 390 feet into the frozen heart of that mountain, you will find yourself in a room called the cathedral. There is nothing in that room at all except three massive metal vault doors. Behind those doors is not money. It's not gold. It's not precious stones or government secrets. There are seeds. There are seeds from millions of millions of plants from around the world. There are over 2.25 billion seeds locked away in a mountain in the Arctic Circle, being kept safe in case the world ever needs them. It exists because of Nikolai Vavilov. The idea of keeping food safe, of eventually if the need ever arises to be able to withdraw seeds from the bank and go and grow food to save people is because of one man who died in a jail cell starving to death. I live in a house surrounded by fields. I live in a place where there is food growing around me all of the time. I work in a profession where I am surrounded by food. I touch and make food every single day. The vegetables that come through my kitchen door are perfect. They are delicious, and I am lucky. But, if one day the rain stops pouring, if one day the climate changes and the farmers that work around my house can't grow anything, if one day where I live starts to turn to dust and the threat of hunger starts to grow and grow, seeds will be withdrawn from the vault Plants that can survive the new climate of my home will be planted, and I will be able to eat. And Nikolai Vavilov is responsible for that. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef. 
It was written by me and produced by Timothy McDonald. I would like to thank Audible for letting us talk about them this week, and also to all of you for listening and sharing the show with your friends. I want to give this week's shout out, and I'm kind of excited by this, to Commander's Palace in New Orleans. If you ever get to go to that New Orleans institution, please say hello from us and thanks to them for writing in. If you want to write to us for any reason, you can write to letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com or you can follow me on Instagram at Chef Brian Clark. We are back next week with a brand new episode of Let's Talk About Chef, and we are going to leave you with the song Mr. Farmer by the band The Seeds. Until next time, have a great service and have a great week.